Our first reading is taken from the first book of Corinthians, first letter, sorry, of Corinthians, um, chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Um, and this passage has the title, Warnings from Israel's History. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of they did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out, so that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse sinners than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, Unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and looked for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, 
For three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it waste the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig round it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Do you think that those who have died in the last couple of years with COVID are worse sinners than those who have recovered? Do you think that those who've been killed in Ukraine in the last two or three weeks are worse sinners than those who have survived? you'll be well aware that the problem of suffering and why is an age-old question. It was just as common in Jesus' day as it is today. And even the Bible gives no full solution, full answer to that problem. If you weren't here last week, I would recommend that you look up on your computers a wonderful new song. Well, it's a couple of years old now, but called You Already Know by J.J. Heller. It is a wonderful song written at the beginning of the pandemic. And it kind of questions why, but the theme is You Already Know. In Jesus' day, of course, the commonest thought was that it was always to do with personal sin. People suffered because they had sinned. This was what was behind the question about the Galileans who had been slaughtered or those who'd been killed when a tower collapsed. It's also behind the familiar debate in John 9 about the man born blind. But what does Jesus say? No. But unless you repent. That's what I want to look at this morning. I hope it's not going to be too heavy. I certainly won't send any of you on a guilt trip. But when I was thinking about this sermon and what I was going to say, I was thinking there's so many pictures of Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But there's a tremendous amount in the gospel where he does not pull his punches. And this is one. Unless... You repent. Behind 
all these discussions about sickness and war and accidents and so-called natural disasters is that deep-seated sense in us that there is some form of divine retribution. Whatever we think about that, there's another aspect which is deeply embedded in our fallen nature. And that is the desire to shift the spotlight. What today we call blame shifting. Something bad happens, someone is to blame. And moreover, that someone must pay. It's nothing new. Right back in Genesis 3, in the account of the fall, we read that Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) It's this desire in us to shift the spotlight, make us somehow feel safer, The bottom line, in the words of many a Cockney police television drama, wasn't me, Gov, it was him. But Jesus' response is no. But unless you repent, and I'm conscious of pointing my finger because as it was pointed out many times when a preacher points his finger at the congregation, he's got three pointing back at him. But unless we repent. You see, God does not accept blame shifting. He wants to deal with me, with you, individually. Because it's not about someone else. It's about me. About you. The woman's husband had been uh, slipping in and out of coma for several weeks. Yet she had stayed by his bedside every single day. One day, near the end, he came to and motioned her to come close. As she bent over and listened to his whisper, her eyes full of tears, he said, You know what? You have been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were by my side. When we lost the house, you stayed right there. When my health started to fail, you were still by my side. You know what? Yes, dear, she gently asked, smiling as her heart began to fill with warmth. I think you're bad luck. (laughs) We love 
to shift the blame. Of course, the Bible does say something about the origins of evil without explaining all of it. Ultimately, it tells us that all evil and bad things and disasters stem from our disobedience. We get just glimpses of it in the story of the fall. But having said that, the Bible equally says, Jesus made it very clear, that it's not always personal sin, as the debate in John 9 makes clear. However, God uses the fact of evil. God uses disasters, pain, sickness, and all sorts of things to seek to bring folk to repentance, to bring them back to him. That's the point of the parable in the second half of our Luke Gospel. It shows God's patience. But equally, it's a patience which does eventually run out. So what is our reaction to be? What is our reaction when we hear of something that happened to someone else? Do we immediately thank God that it wasn't me? That's very natural. Of course it's natural. But ultimately it's rather self-centred. It's like the Pharisee in Luke 18 in the temple thanking God that he wasn't like that poor beggar with all his sores and problems. Or we may point the finger and say, well, it's their fault. They shouldn't have been doing that. They were stupid enough to do that. They can suffer the consequences. Or perhaps we try and shift the blame to a third party. It's the government's fault. It's the doctor's fault. It's the unvaccinated people's fault. Or whatever we choose to put on people. But I would suggest that we need to be asking, what is God saying in this? What is God saying in the disaster which is Ukraine? We were talking about it earlier this morning at breakfast. It's actually a very, very strange war in lots of ways. People are getting the most amazing visions and pictures of of clouds and angels over the cathedral. What is God saying about it? And equally important, how am I? Am I right in this situation? Is there something I can learn from this? Unless you repent, says Jesus. As I've said already, I believe that God allows bad things to happen. doesn't cause them, but he allows them to happen in the hope of driving us to our knees in repentance. That's what that rather 
heavy passage from 1 Corinthians was about. And I believe we have a responsibility as a church, a church to cry out in repentance in a sense of identification with the world and those who are turning their back on God rather than repenting simply in isolation in our little holy huddles. I was freshly struck recently by the confession of Daniel in the prophecy of his name. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his command, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Do you notice he's praying, we. Daniel was almost certainly innocent of the vast majority of things he was confessing. He stood in the breach and confessed on their behalf. And in a sense, it's a foretaste of what Jesus did. Jesus stood in our place and accepted what was rightly ours that we might not. And I believe that God's call on us today, us as a church, not just here at St Paul's, but as a church in this country, not to embark on endless theological and philosophical discussions on the whys and wherefores of evil and why bad things happen to good people. The psalmists were endlessly asking that question and almost without exception, every time their answer was actually to turn back to God. We're not to point the finger, as I've already said, but to recognise that none of us, none of us, is free of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then we are to repent. Repent, of course, doesn't mean to navel-gaze or to moan and groan, oh, poor me. I'm a little worm, I'm going to go down the bottom of the garden. No, repent means to turn. To turn to God, to turn away from our own sin and turn to God. But I believe we need to do it individually and as a church so that we can genuinely cry out for others. Our nation, I believe, is living on the brink. Never has there been such a moral decline in the last 50 years or so in our nation. 
whether it's in family life, sexual matters, gender issues, the prevalence of mental illness amongst youngsters, etc., etc. And I believe that they're all where we have turned away from God's good ways. We need to cry out to the Lord to have mercy on us as a nation and as a church because so much of the church has followed the way of the world. A few months ago I heard on a video uh, it was a, a trailer to something the church is involved in and I heard one bishop and three other church leaders and they all said this it's about time the church caught up with the world it's about time the church caught up with the world but as Anne Widdicombe put it in an interview only this last week the church is to lead not follow are we going to listen to the stark warnings of Jesus unless you repent God in his mercy is the God of second chances. We all read part of Isaiah 55 at the beginning of the service. Remind you of those words of Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that we may have mercy on them and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Do you think that Covid victims or those in Ukraine or any others facing difficulty are worse sinners than we are? Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. When I was preparing for this this morning, I felt that it would be good if we first of all had a moment of quiet and then actually we moved the confession that normally would come later in this particular service and we would use that confession together now. But I think it would be good if we used it not just to confess our own sins but to think about the sins of the world out there. Not to point the finger, not to condemn but to let them know, to let God know that we care, 
We want them to be free as I trust we are free.